Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, my damn it. Kieran Murphy. Oh, Ken Early. Ken. Sorry, yeah. Ken. Of course. Of course, Ken. We could never forget Ken, and could we? Ken Early here. How are you doing, guys? Good. Hey. How are you? What do you do if you concede seven goals in one hour of football, get hauled off by your manager, and receive a standing ovation, an ironic standing ovation from the away crowd? Well, if you're Gibraltar's Jordan Perez, you bask in the acclaim and <laughs> applaud the crowd back. Thank what you. What you do, all do is Thank you. You take it on its merits. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know? You I'm not going to overthink this. Yeah, don't. Listen, everyone appears to be standing up. And applauding. So let's not look at their sarcastic little eyeballs, peer, all peering down at me. Let's not look at those eyeballs. Let's just appreciate the noise that I'm hearing and take my place on the bench. I appreciated the fact that Jordan Perez had shown me something I'd never seen before. Which was? A goalkeeper wellying the ball into his own <laughs> net off the crossbar. I don't think I've seen that. I mean, you've seen all kinds of on goals. There's, there's so many things that can happen. I mean, considering it's just a goal and, you know, a team that isn't supposed to kick the ball into it, you think there's only a certain number of combinations that can happen, but it turns out there are almost infinite ways that can happen. And Jordan Paris found a new one. I'm not exaggerating by saying that Murph would have kicked the ball further from those kickouts. He, he wasn't even getting near oh, the halfway well, line. That's Well, that's a given. I mean, I, I've... Oh, and I'm insulted. Which, what, what are you trying to say here? Which was a, a little bit um, of a problem considering the way that Gibraltar played the game, which was pushing all the way up into Ireland's half. I mean, they were defending inside Ireland's half for a lot of that game, which is which is quite risky because you can stand then five yards behind their defensive line and not be offside. They also didn't seem to know that you, you can't be offside from a goal kick. Uh, now, I know this can happen to better teams. It certainly seemed to happen to John Terry's England at the 2010 World Cup against Germany. Um, the problem is that you do need a goalkeeper who can boot the ball the entire length of the field. Germany had Manuel Neuer and we had David Ford. Um, so he was able to pick out his uh, strikers. But when they were taking goal kicks, it, it was far more dangerous for them because uh, every time Perez took a goal kick, it was almost like he, he dropped a through ball in behind his own defence. So uh, it was, uh, I mean, the, afterwards the, uh, the Gibraltar manager was being asked um, 
you know, what, what, what the hell do you think you're doing? Seriously. And he was saying, well, look, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to abandon our principles. I've told you, you know, we believe in attacking football and we're going to keep playing the game the way we want to play the game. And it was pointed out to him by one of the Irish journalists um, who said, but, but I mean, if you, you know, if you keep playing that way, you're going to get a lot of hidings and you're going to just end up being sacked. <laughs> someone said that to him. Yeah, someone <laughs> introducing the harsh realities of top well, level football. To look, the football fact is, you know, you keep losing seven nil. It won't be long before we get well, sacked, and it'll be a lot more than seven against Germany. And and the Gibraltar manager said, "Well, look, that's that's the life of the football manager. Sacking is sacking is just that's around the, the one corner. sure thing that's going to happen. Yeah, but I do love the image of the Gibraltar goalkeeper playing the ball in those little areas. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's sort of for the the Caleb Follins to run the channels. A that's car- basically what we're corridor of uncertainty, thirty yeah. meters wide. <laughs> Perez now taking his place in the pantheon of goalkeepers that the Irish crowd will vaguely remember years after the details of the game itself has been forgotten. Dudu Awat. Yes, Ken. I'm not sure it's a really, it's a pantheon. I mean, Dudu Awat is the only god in there at the moment. Yeah. It's almost 10 years since he <laughs> gamesmanshipped his way to a two-all draw. Remember, remember, remember what he did, Andy O'Brien? What a performance it was still, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's been nearly 10 years and I can look back and say, okay, the guy, the guy did a lot for his team that day. Yeah. I was... mean, if you look at it from like, just from a purely PR point of view, right, if, if Dudu Awat's people what said to him? His many representatives. Yeah, we want to. I want you to go out there. I want you to make a name for yourself today. It's pretty hard, you would think. You know, pretty hard to do it without throwing four balls into the net. Mm. But he's managed to. His name lives on mm. in in Irish football. Do do what? Yeah, I think it's partly because he's got such a memorable name. Yeah, do you think this guy's name? I've already forgotten that. Jordan said Perez. Yeah, Jordan. Jordan <laughs> Perez is quite a. What a cool name! I'll stop you. I'll, like, I'll never use the word cool yeah. again. Like so that's sounding like a seventy-year-old man. Two and yeah, George Jordan Perez. Jordan Perez. <laughs> Do you kind of wish <laughs> you were Dardy. you were a Jordan Perez instead of an Owen McDevitt? Uh, I don't know. I wish I was a, a Mick the Boot Queen. So yeah, that's what they really needed in goals there. Just somebody with a massive or a Nas Bota, Das Boot, as he was known. Murph. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, famous for his length of kick yeah. and uh, various other. And derivative of that nickname. And that's who really uh, brought it in. But Ken, more to the point, mm-hmm. how are we set up now that Poland have screwed up uh, the, the entire group by going and beating Germany? Well, so we can go and win the thing now, Ken. The door has been opened just ajar for Ireland to win this qualification group. Mm. Now it, we have to storm through it. It's not looking great, is it? No. It no. really is. Third, I mean, third place is still there. Watching those, you know, you're, you're watching the Poland, Germany, and, the, and you see the crowd and how much it means to everybody. And it was such a massive result for Poland. And it was difficult to watch that match and not want Poland to win. But I didn't want them to win. <laughs> I was difficult, watching that but match, not impossible. Really hoping that Germany, uh, you know, were to turn the screw in the last uh, few minutes. And of course, Poland ended up scoring a second goal. But look, yeah, it's 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 really looking bad. I mean, aside from the fact that. Uh, it was the result was bad for us, um, and the timing of our game against Germany isn't great in the context of that result. Because ah yeah, but this is where you're wrong, Ken. Why? Because they're a rabble. They've conceded four goals to Argentina at home, mm. and I should get a couple of uh, scrappy late goals. Yeah, Scotland nearly beat them. Poland have actually beaten them. The Germans are there for the taking. Mm. They're on a historically bad run of form, Ken. They're reeling after their World Cup success, <laughs> as all World Cup winning teams do. Yeah. They're reeling from that. Yeah. And uh, they're basically just looking to be knocked to the canvas. Yeah. Well, I they're looking at the referee. They're saying, why don't you stop this? I think there's going to be... It's a massacre. There's going to be blood on the canvas, all right, one way or the other. 
after this Ireland-Germany games up. I mean, the, they've, obviously, you can imagine the reaction of the German media hasn't been good. Um, there was a, a good little clip of Mario Goethe going around it, being asked in the mix zone after the game. Um, <laughs> I saw this, yeah. So, do you think maybe we could say that the German national team is in a little bit of a crisis? And to which Goethe's response was, <laughs> uh, and then he just walked away. Um, he... Uh, it was a pretty contemptuous response. But the point is, that message will have got through to all those players who realise now that, OK, winning the World Cup was great, but now it's as though you haven't won the World Cup. Now it's as though you won the World Cup 25 years ago or a different team won the World Cup. It's not you anymore. So you have to go and prove yourselves again. And, uh, and Ireland are, are now suddenly in the position of the team that Germany have to prove themselves. Is there against. a very optimistic viewpoint that um, top spot in the group is now open um, for Ireland? No. I mean, it's available for somebody. Yeah. Poland. Um, Poland, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Poland are much better than we are. I mean, we, we can see that. You know, they've got Lewandowski, we've got um, Shane Long and Robbie Keane. Uh, yeah. 65 goal, Robbie Keane. Yeah, that's we true. We have got one of the greatest strikers in the history of international football. He has scored more goals than Lewandowski in international and Lewandowski football. Lewandowski will ever dream of But something. I don't know if he has quite the same effect on German defenders as Robert Lewandowski does. Maybe not. Um, you know, you, see, you saw the terror that he was able to strike in those uh, German defenders. Um, Eric Durham particularly was, you know, the, they were they're really scared of Lewandowski. What what is he going to do? Everyone was watching him, and it opened the whole game game up for everyone else. We don't have anyone who's going to have that effect on them, unfortunately. We're going to check in with our friends in Poland on this show after their uh, that historic victory, first win over Germany at the nineteenth attempt over the course of their the country's. Um, sometimes entwined histories. Uh, and we'll also be previewing Ireland Germany in our football podcast and talking loads about the Gibraltar game in that a little bit later today. Now, next weekend, the new Champions Cup kicks off. This is in rugby, of course. Uh, this would be the old Heineken Cup, if you've been paying attention in to all, money. all of this. Leinster against Wasps in their first games. Uh, Munster away to Sale. Ulster play Leicester. And uh, some pretty interesting storylines going into this. Dennis Hickey and Jerry Thornley, you're in studio. Lads, thanks for popping in. Good morning. On the eve, of, well not quite on the eve, but uh, early in the week of a new season of uh, European rugby, the Champions Cup it's called now, Jerry. Um Is there going to be a massive discernible difference now that all the politics have settled? Are we, are we left with just the same competition with the, a few less poor sides in it? Yeah, in essence that's pretty much it. I mean, once the rugby takes over, we'll forget about all the difficulties off the pitch um, and, and the rugby will win out and... I've known that in about a year's time or so that there will be four or five sponsors on board and it will be a much better tournament and will generate an awful lot more money. Um, but it's also going to be much tougher. Um, I think straight away there's, you're looking at it much tougher for everybody to get through, but particularly the Irish teams. I think just the whole format is going to work slightly against the Irish teams. In what way? Well, for starters, the pools are tougher, number one. And uh, I mean, you know, like the, there's no... There's only one weakish side in the tournament, that's Treviso, and none of the Irish sides got the the one Italian side. So the odds in all the three groups involving the Irish teams of two sides getting through are are, are remote. Um, you look at what Munster are in, and they're in they're in a pool with three of last year's four semi finalists. You know, that, so it's going to be very very difficult for them. Leinster aren't playing particularly well. Ulster are probably playing the best of the three Irish sides, but you know they've got the European and French champions in their pool in Toulon, and Leicester Tigers will surely get stronger. And their weakest team, as such, in the pool is Scarlets, who are always very dangerous in Europe. So all in all, and then the biggest thing that's going to work against the Irish sides 
um, is the fact that the knockout stage has been compressed into five weeks. The, you know, the quarterfinals are within two weeks of the conclusion, the Six Nations. And so it's a five-week period of, for the knockout matches as opposed to nine weeks. And that's going to work against the Irish teams because it's not going to be this two, three-week interlude in between knockout games. That's going to make it very tough. Dennis, Eddie Butler was making the point this weekend that the Irish teams have lost the most with the new structure. The, the fact that the power is switching more to the clubs, to private benefactors and away from the unions will... Uh, and also just... By, I suppose just by definition Ireland were so, our clubs were so successful over the last number of years um, it's unlikely to remain that way would you have that pessimistic viewpoint from an Irish point of view? Well I think it would be um, you know I think it would be an unhappy coincidence if the Irish teams didn't do well this year and everyone cited the fact well that the, tour- the, the, the tournament format has, has shown them up in recent years to really have favoured them that's why Irish teams did well I think Irish teams did well because they had the best teams um, I think Leinster certainly had the best teams, or I think Munster certainly had the best team in the competition for recent times. And I think now that maybe their teams aren't as strong at the moment, uh, at the same time when the competition, as, as Jerry says, has become a little bit more challenging from, from an Irish perspective. But, you know, if the groups are hard for the Irish teams, they're hard for everyone else as well. You know, the groups just aren't easy. Um, but it's um, the compression at the, uh, at, the, at the business end of the, of the, of the uh, tournament um, post Six Nations could be could be difficult for Ireland, but you don't Ireland. buy into this idea that there was necessarily that there, there was, it was weighted towards Irish clubs, and now that's been taken away somewhat. I'm not sure the format was ever designed to be weighted in favour of Irish clubs. I just think Irish clubs had a lot more flexibility with their league and with their um, uh, with the focus of the season being Europe. But uh, there was always, for some reason, a onus on the Irish clubs to have to change their competition and not on anyone else to have to change theirs, and that was the kind of that was the big thing that was never really pointed out. For some reason, um, uh, the Irish teams, because they did focus on Europe, um, that was seen as somewhat some sort of weakness or a, fo- or a um, uh, something that wasn't fair. Perfectly within, you know, other other clubs to focus with, on Europe as well uh, and their domestic competition. So uh, I, I don't know. I just think overall. Uh, I think it's just a, it's a tougher competition, but there are teams that get used to it. Yeah. Squad depth is something that you mm. alluded to there, Jerry. Well, I presume mm. you did because you said that maybe this is where the French teams might have the advantage with the games coming closer together later on in the season and the, the the amount of players, the amount of quality players that those clubs have. Yeah, well, you see, the difference between the um, the Irish and the Celts, indeed, compared to the English clubs and particularly the French clubs, is that the Irish teams are there also to serve the international team. Um, Toulon couldn't give a monkeys about the French team. That's why they supply one player to the Six Nations effectively last year, Matthew Bastro. Maxime Mermoz played in a couple of games and Castro Giovanni would have played for Italy but he got injured early on in the tournament. That's their entire commitment. to the. They, they provide more players to the Southern Hemisphere Rugby Championship than they do to the Six Nations, ironically. And so... They can rotate their squad and they don't have that many much commitments to Six Nations, so they're very fresh to attack on two fronts when the club competitions come back on stream after the Six Nations. We've seen that in the last two seasons. So one would imagine that the compressed format of the knockout stage is going to uh, facilitate them even more as opposed to, say, a bulk supplier to an international team like Leinster. Who I mean Matt O'Connor, if they are going to be still the bulk suppliers and in current form they might not be to the same extent as they have been in recent times, but... If you're looking at being a bulk supplier to a Six Nations team and then you've got to step into a quarter-final two weeks later and a semi-final two weeks after that and a final a week after that, it's just it's almost undoable. The idea that Toulon dominating now, maybe on the verge of dominating European rugby, is, that, is it just a very Irish-centric view to see that as a bad thing, necessarily? Well, uh, no, I suppose, yeah, you can be a bit too Irish-centric about this. Um, Toulon have a wonderful fan base. It's an extraordinarily atmospheric ground on the Côte d'Azur. 
Um, there's certainly been an awful lot of high-profile players to the French top couture's. They are also in, and it's good. I'd say if Dennis is still around, he'd appreciate the fact that wages are going up for players, and that's a good thing because they were underpaid for years. So they're, they're, they do bring good as well as bad. I just think they're they lack a lot of class in the way they carry on. I think they're constantly at Boulogne and Laporte are constantly at war with the world every week. They throw a massive sulk when a player like Lee Halfpenny is is injured and he can't play for them. They threaten to rip up his contract. And I think that the more money that the English and Welsh and the English and French clubs make, the more independent they become. The more they're going to take on the international rugby board, and the more they're going to damage the international game. Dennis. Well, yeah, like I think that the, I think that the, the emergence of the French or French clubs, as I said, like Toulon, is inevitable. Um, I suppose just inevitable the way the game has been moving, um, and uh, I think it's just uh, as Jerry kind of says, it's really more the way they've gone around their business. I think what get gets people, uh, you know, their, gets their back up. Um, but I think always some, somebody was always going to see the opportunity to act as a super club mm. and attract all the players from the Southern Hemisphere. Um, and it's just Toulon have been the ones with the money. You don't have to play up. international rugby either. I mean, that, that seems to be the key to their model, as Jerry said, one player involved in the situation yeah. with France. So therefore, you've got all these guys all the time. Yeah, and it, it, it dovetails very nicely with the, the, the mindset of Southern Hemisphere players. Um, and the depression of wages in the Southern Hemisphere uh, is also critical to it. So... Uh, whereas, what do you mean the mindset of the well, they're happy to 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 call it a, a time on their international career much earlier than players in the nor- northern hemisphere, where um, they want to play for as long as they can for the national side because um, that's what drives your wages in the northern hemisphere. You know, if you're a top tier international player, you get paid better. Whereas in the southern hemisphere, the contracts are much more centralised. Um, and uh, what pl- guys will do is that they'll call time in their career earlier. Guys who've maybe even one or two caps, but even now, guys increasingly, like I see Adam Ashley Cooper announced that he's going to move on after the World Cup. He's thirty years of age, mm. and he's going to you know finish with Australia. He's happy to not play for Australia again. It's really what he's saying under the Australian rules, and that's so he can move up to Northern Hemisphere and make two or three years of getting paid, you know, between half a million and a million quid a year. Um, so that's that's. You know, one has actually, you know, Toulon and French clubs, you could say, in in general, but Toulon, let's say, in particular, have really said, let's exploit this. Let's exploit the fact that there is a steady pool of the top players who are just waiting to stop playing for two years, make more money, they can come here and play, and they don't have to play for their national side again, unless, you know, some of the South Africans manage to do a bit during the summer, but they can live with that. Let's talk about the Irish teams. That's the uh, Leinster are in with Harlequins, Cast and Wasps who are first up on Sunday at the RDS. I guess the big question here, Jerry, is how much of a dent that performance, that non-performance against Munster will have made in Leinster's preparations? Well, yeah, and judging by the what you could see online of the game against Treviso, there's a, a paucity of invention again in this team. Um, and it looks like what Dennis said a week ago about the Scarlet game at home being more of a one-off. With each passing week, it's becoming more of a one-off. And uh, even with Ian Madigan at, at ten last week, there just there wasn't much invention or creativity. Um, they need they, they need there's a lack of X factor, as Dennis said. There's no doubt about it. You look at Ulster by comparison, and they can play a tactically smart game against Glasgow, but still spring at Craig Gilroy with his wondrous footwork to score a try. Leinster just at the moment they they were indebted to one moment of magic, typically for me and Madigan, and that was and that was it. And they're not playing particularly well, and it does look as if that performance against Munster and that result has dented their confidence, and understandably so. And so. 
I think it's helpful they've got Wasps at home to begin with. I mean, I think it would be much trickier if they were going to High Wycombe, judging by the passion the Wasps brought to their performance at home to bat. They're unbeaten at home, whereas they haven't won away this season, Wasps. Three home wins, three away defeats. And so I think to get them um, in the RDS first up is helpful, and Leinster simply have to win. And you would hope, and I'd still kind of half believe, that there's something... In, Something about the magic of European rugby, the magic of the old Heineken Cup will will bring out the best in Leinster next Sunday as it's done past or, or certainly their best performance so far this season because they'll need it. Yeah, it's funny when Munster, when they were in their pomp and they and even maybe in recent seasons, they might lose a, a league game and that was often seen as maybe not a bad thing, that that would sharpen them up for, uh, you know, there'd be a backlash come the Heineken Cup and they'd be really up for that. Do Leinster have a similar mentality, do you think, Dennis, that it's maybe not the end of the world they had that performance against Munster, it might be what, what's needed? Well, I, I don't think you can look at that match against Munster really in isolation. I think that's really the point we were making last week is yeah. that is that the, 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 the tough games that Leinster have had this year, they've come up short and came up short against Glasgow um, and again against uh, Munster and it, it's really had their form for the first half of the season so far or, for, or sorry, for the, for the start of the season so far is probably gives them more cause for worry than a once-off bad performance where, you know, the Irish mentality, good kick in the arse before they... That's exactly what we needed, you know, thanks very much. And um, that, was, that was the cliche I was trying to get out there. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, don't, like, I don't... I think it's a little... There's, there's a little bit more... Um, it runs a little bit deeper for Leinster at the moment. That said, I don't think... I don't think Wasps will be probably as cognizant of that coming here as probably everyone in Ireland is. You know, I think they have their own issues to think about, and you know they'll they'll still be very wary of coming to to, to Dublin to play Leinster. Um, and you know, Leinster will still still be considered the favourites going into the game, um, and I think they will deliver. I think Leinster will step up their performance. Because um, their backs are to the wall, and I think they, I think they will step into it. We mentioned inventiveness or creativity there, but this might be quite a basic question. But do the Leinster backs lack a certain zip and pace now? I mean, we were supposed to be. We, there were years where there were really good Leinster backs being churned. I couldn't even get into the team. Guys like Andrew Conway and people like this. Uh, are we at a stage now, or maybe there isn't this, the same sort of pace in the back line as we, we maybe started to take for granted? Yeah, well, I suppose it depends what back line we're talking about for the weekend. Um, I, I I don't think they're that far off. There there are maybe short one or two guys uh, if you're making the comparison. I'd say with the, the team that won the double, but um, I think it's a combination of between you know the zip and maybe the, the as I say the, the the kind of creativity, especially as off the phases. Um, I think it's it's uh, you know it's a combination of both. But you know that's you know maybe with Kirshner back, Rob Carney be playing the weekend. It's depending where Madigan plays, all, all of a sudden it actually could come together for them. There may be one or two players, but but it'll be, it'll, it'll, it'll be a good test because Wasps actually have a fair bit of pace on their side. Months, yeah, yeah, outside three, real yeah, pace. They really they, do, yeah. The best, yeah. Well, probably the pace is outside three in the English Premiership. Yeah, yeah. And what really amazed about their performance against Bath yesterday was that they did a complete number in Bath up front. I mean, they were 29 nil up after 32 minutes. Matt Mullen destroyed Dave Wilson, the English tight head. And this was you know three of the English, potentially English tight five going up against them. And Wasps just destroyed them up front before the Bath backs came into in the last 20 minutes or so. But to be 29 nil up after 32 minutes is was pretty impressive. Munster are uh, uh, Sale is their first game, but mm-hmm. they're in a group with Claremont Saracens and and Sale. So this is beyond tough, really. And uh, the achievement in getting out of the group would be something else. But they did make the semi-finals the last couple of seasons, playing in a system which even the players now themselves say they weren't really particularly mm-hmm. comfortable with. Would that, should that give Munster fans cause for optimism now that they're going to be playing something that they're more suited to? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a body of work or achievements in Europe that belongs to a relatively new generation, a new team. 
Um, there's been an enormous transition in Munster and this is like a, a, new, a new team in effect. Paul O'Connell's still there and one or two others but essentially it's a new team with new leaders in the likes of Conor Murray and so forth and Peter Armani and they do now have back-to-back semi-finals and let's not forget either that both times they got the as usual with Munster when they get to the semi-finals they got an away draw and it's tough when you're coming up against a crack French side like Toulon or Clermont uh, the, the, one of the great injustices of this tournament, one of the great wrongs of the Heineken Cup, and it stands to, and it's still at the, at the case of the, as it, in its current guise, is that you have a one-off, one-legged semi-final that's down to uh, the luck of the draw. I mean, you know, this, if they want to model themselves on the European Champions League, ultimately they have to make this a two-legged semi-final or b- provide some kind of merit yeah. in giving it home advantage because that really worked hard against Munster in the last two years. So yes, I mean, it's a tough draw for Munster, but as Dennis says, it's a bloody tough draw for Saracens and Claremont as well. Um, Sale looked the, mo- looked the most winnable, and it, it, but it's a must-win. Again, you'd have to think for Munster. If they're going to qualify from this group, they have to beat Sale away because it's going to be very tough to beat Saracens and Claremont away. So you would have thought this is the one they've got to win away. And looking at Sale's form in the Premiership this season, losing 43-10 to Northampton on the weekend, you would think that it's doable. Are there encouraging signs for Munster there? Well, I certainly think... Um the fact that they were able to to uh, to reproduce or recreate their their what was their core skill um, and the core uh, um, driving force behind their success, uh, which was you know a very controlled um, Ford Ford game, um, which they showed obviously in spades against Leinster, um, and they were able to back it up again this weekend. I think that's that's obviously of of. of um, will be of great comfort to them. And I think that'll probably be enough to see them through this weekend against Sale. I, I just I just can't imagine a situation where that that's enough, though, to win the, the pool. Or, the uh, even the pool. Yeah. Or even maybe the even the pool. Yeah. You know, you know, it, but, but I think they'll be perfectly happy to be making the progress they've made in the recent weeks and to take that into this week. And they're probably, you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a... There's... there's it, it's kind of a double-edged sword they're, it's the game they probably need to be having at the start an away mm. match if they could win away to say playing like the way they've been improving over the recent weeks that'll be another great step forward for them give them more, a lot more confidence and they played with even a lot of confidence last weekend against uh, just weekend gone by on the back of playing with Leicester if they can do that again um, you know it's another step forward for them and they grow again the, pro- the, the challenge is though of course it's, it's, if, you're, if you look at their fixture list and think of their away fixture it's the away fixture they have to win so you know, it, it does have that extra dimension of pressure. Ulster are away to Leicester in their first game. They've got Scarlets and Toulon. Um, would you place Ulster at, at the top of the Irish challenge at the moment, based on what you see in this year? Yeah, certainly playing at home. There, there, no team will have an easy game um, in Ravenhill. I watched the game against Glasgow, and um, a, a very interesting game because Glasgow, mm. well, Glasgow, yeah, yeah. Like, cause Glasgow play. Glasgow are, 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 are you know they're top of the league, but they play. I think. Gregor Townsend has made no secret of the fact that he was a big fan of of the Joe Schmidt style of play um, when he kind of took over as a, 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 a coaching um, at Glasgow and and they do try to play a lot of that and I think what they lack and they're, what they're trying to develop is the same precision that maybe Leinster had in that last couple of seasons um, and you could see at the weekend they were still against Ulster you know under pressure still throwing a, a 50-50 pass mm. you know slack turnover but they really really try to play rugby and as do as do Ulster that's why it made such a really good game because both sides really throw the ball around um, uh, but they do so in a manner that's that's um, you know largely controlled and they're trying to play rugby um, but I think think, you know, I think 
also be very difficult to beat in 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 Ravenhill, even for Toulon. Um, I think Toulon will really struggle to come over there and kind of get to grips with with the kind of new challenge of being there. Um, but I think Ulster maybe on the road against Toulon and to a lesser extent to, to to the Tigers. You know, it's it's a different challenge. But I, I think it could be a, a um, I think it really could be a head to head between them and Toulon. Certainly on the form they're playing, they have the confidence. I think the one caveat to that is Ruan Pinar seems like he's going to be missing mm. for the first mm. I don't know game or two, probably. game or two or Europe, and he is critical to everything they do at the next level. You know, Paul Marshall is, is a very competent number nine. He's a very good link between the sides. But when Pinar is there, Pinar is among you know, if not the best, but on his day, the best nine in the world at controlling a game for Munster. He just has an air of calmness about him. It doesn't matter how, how you know what the pressure in the game is, and he gives his teammates a huge amount more. And you just notice that a lot more when when you play in the um, in the big European games. You need a guy like him back. So you know, without him, they're a little bit more vulnerable. Cherry, um, I thought it was a compelling match, the Ulster Glasgow game, and I didn't think that Ulster played with quite the flair they normally do. I thought it was a bit of a tactical coup. They really. It seemed like they'd done Les Kiss's farewell match, kind of a valedictory one for him until he comes back in a year's time, that they identified a weakness in Glasgow's defence at the Mall and they went after them at Mall and scrum time. They even set up Malls on the other side, the pitch, off a set piece, they go wide and set it up against the Glasgow backs and they, and was very vigilant refereeing help from Nigel Owens. I think they built up their 15-16. I think the five penalties that Humphreys kicked were all emanated from their Mall or their scrum and that was it kind of strangled Glasgow. It, was, it shows what a tactically smart team they are. And when you've got players like Rory Best and the South African contingent and, and Paul Marsh and Humphrey at half back. You know, they are a smart team. And then they can bring in a little bit of X factor with Gilroy. It was great to see Gilroy score that try. I mean, he must have beaten four players. And it was it was back to two years ago, Dennis, wasn't it? It was the real, you know, I thought it was X factor that mm. the Leinster and Munster been lacking. The Ulster having spades and Gilroy scored a try that was very reminiscent of how it was formed two years ago. Remember when he announced himself against Argentina? That he looks physically stronger again and he's back to his best and there's a bit of a swagger about his game. So I thought that was a very impressive performance by Ulster and marked them down as a team that can take on Toulon or Leicester, certainly Ravenhill, with a game plan tailored for that for those for those opponents. And okay, Leicester would have been would have been nice to play them four weeks ago when they were down twenty three players between injuries and Argentinian commitments and were beaten forty five nil by Bath. Unfortunately, about eleven or twelve of those were back last weekend when they um, they beat Harlequins, and it's not as good a time to play them and a difficult side to play in Europe, but. If they're to face Leicester at Welford Road at any time, it's possibly now. And then they've got Toulon at home and that's just going to be a belter in Ravenhill Friday week. Belter. Yeah, it will be. I, I think, just to add a little bit more to the to the um, Pinar thing, I think the nine, their 9-10 axis is just potentially at the moment they're, they're, they're a little bit uncertain. Is it Jackson, mm-hmm. Humphreys, Mar- you know, Marshall? You know, they're just not as settled there as they... As they may need It'll probably to be. be Jackson, though. You know, I think he was missing last week because of concussion. You'd imagine yeah. he'd be back this yeah, week. Yeah, he probably Marshall will Jackson. be. Um, uh, but again, not you know to have those, not to have their first choice halfback pairing in 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 going into Europe is you know that's the that's an area where they could come up short. Yeah, and just if, if people are only getting to grips with this new competition now, uh, five groups, the five winners and three best place runners up are the, the teams that go through to the quarterfinals. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty tricky, particularly in one of the two of those groups that we're talking about there. If I can ask you both... If you think that's tricky, wait till they try and find it what TV channels are all on. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And work all that out as well. Yeah, mm. the, the, the big Sky BT battle. Mm. Uh, who do you The three Irish teams are on, I think, over the first two weekends, each of them is on BT once and each of them is on Sky once. Okay. Yeah. So uh, equitable enough uh, yeah. split there. Who is going to win this tournament, Jerry? And ha. which Irish team is going to go furthest? 
Well, it could be that could be the same answer if, if I believe one of the Irish teams. Oh, I tend to agree with Dennis in that I think the rechange in the format of the tournament slightly is coinciding with a slight, a little bit of a lower ebb in Irish fortunes. Five Heineken Cups in seven years was always going to be tough to maintain. It was never going to maintain, regardless of format or what way the tournament lined up. You just couldn't maintain that kind of strike rate. These things are cyclical. And as Dan says, Munster were the best team in Europe for a three-year period. And for a five-year period, Leinster were the best team in Europe as well. And part of the problem with winning five Heineken Cups in seven years was the English and the French were never going to like that. And they were going to change the tournament and the structure and the format and the governance and the financial divvy out. And it just happens to coincide with the time when I don't think Leinster and Munster, particularly at a very... Uh, high moment in their history in terms of talent um, and particularly in game-breaking players. Ulster do have that. I think they're the smartest team. I think they're the best team of the three. I would think they might have a good chance of going through. Whether it's as winners or, or runners-up, I'm not so sure, but I think they would be the best bet of the Irish. And if you're looking for a winner, well then, I mean, you'd have to think Toulon going for three in a row. They've got all the advantages. They've seen a limitless budget salary cap. I doubt it. Somehow. I very much doubt it. They're, they're adhering to any salary cap. Um, Northampton have a good draw they'd be the main English danger Claremont Tavern undoubtedly the best team never to have won conquered Europe will will go for it and are doing better in domestically this season um, yeah I mean I think Leinster might Leinster might actually get through because they've got a decent enough draw that's the only thing I mean Castro shipped over 50 points the weekend they are in free fall if they take very diligent interest in European matters anyway but if they're struggling domestically in the top 14 to try and survive they might throw their hat even before the first game so I think if you look at it, Quinns are not quite the team they were. Um, and, you know, if you're going to draw two English teams, Quinns and Wasps, yeah, I'd give Leinster a chance of going through Leinster as well. chance of going through, but yeah. Ulster to go furthest of yeah. the Irish teams and uh, Toulon to win. Dennis, what do you think? I wouldn't disagree too, too much with that. At this point, obviously, there's so much to, to happen. And I think for, for the Irish teams, um, because of the format of the competition post-Six Nations, you know, injuries, who's, you know, who's left after the Six Nations, where you know, you have this huge concentration for players within the it's national really side, tough. and then you go all go out and play. Yeah, it's, it's the same guys. It's like eight out. cup finals yeah. in what, like an yeah. 11-week period or something. Just having the, ch- the, the chances of everyone getting through that without <laughs> being injured, you know, it's, it's, the, the statistics existed. don't back that up. But I think, given the groups, I think Leinster probably, I, I don't think it's anyone in, that, in, in Leinster's group that... They should be wants to play against Leinster. Yeah, you know, I think they'll all be thinking well, Leinster are probably the toughest team to, to play here. You know, they have the pedigree, albeit you know so they probably won't be as aware of 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 you know the the very most recent. Uh, yeah, they, they'll they'll be looking at Leinster as the, the sort of just the name and yeah, exactly. the and, and the players achieve, that, the that are still there. There's still yeah. a lot of great players in Leinster. You know, we're you know, being mm-hmm. there are, critical yeah. and. Uh, um, I, I do have the the confidence, a lot of confidence in getting, them getting out of that group. It's not going to be easy, but seeing what's there and seeing where they are, why won't they get out? I just think Munster have a very difficult group, and I think that'll be you know I, I can't see more than one team probably getting out of that group. Whereas you could see two teams even coming out of Lancers group, particularly if Castro yeah. throw their hat at it early yeah. doors. And then you know, I think Ulster Ulster's group uh, uh, Ulster on the, on the face would seem to be riding high, but you know, I'm just a Leicester in as you say with 23 players coming back. Mm. I just, you know, Cockrell's really kind of fighting for his job as well, and he's been very forthright in his his his. Um, he's taken a lot of responsibility for the results so far, and I just think when the you know the the big European games come around, I think they'll be a lot harder to beat than than people think. So Ulster, even though I think they're the form team going in, could find themselves. So you think maybe Leinster might be the the team to go furthest. Well, Le- certainly Leinster to come out. I think. Ulster have a big challenge to get out of the group. And Toulon uh, to even win the tournament? Yeah, still Toulon, yeah. I think Toulon to win the okay. tournament at the moment. Dennis, Jerry, brilliant. Enjoy the season. Thank you. Cheers, thank you.
flame hair, flame hair, flame hair, flame hair, truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to fight somebody. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Alan. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. It's a really strange dynamic that I'm trying to think if there are comparisons with other sports that Toulon have here. Spending, well, as Jerry seems saying, pretty much limitless money and buying players who won't represent France or indeed any country for the most part. So therefore they have them at all times, don't lose players internationally. So they've got the best players anyway, the the, the deepest squad anyway, even if uh, mm. it was a level playing field. And it's not really a level playing field because other teams have to go and play international junior. They'll argue, and have done, and particularly English clubs have done, that, well, you know, Ireland have loads of natural advantages in their structure and they can decide who plays when for their clubs to a certain extent and what position they play in and all those kind of things. But... um we're Irish, so we'll have to fall on the Irish side of this. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that's only right. I mean, one thing that's interesting about the, the Champions Cup, as uh, we have to now get used to calling it, is that in almost every other example that I can think of, these tournaments keep expanding. You know, so the World Cup was 16 teams, now it's 24 teams, now it's 32 teams. And then in the uh, in the European Championships, that's, it's expanded again and again and again. Yeah. This is actually contracted. So... Obviously, there is a million and one reasons why we should be annoyed about the Champions Cup, but really, we're like say the Champions League. I mean, the idea of pool play in the Champions League is basically let's see how many goals Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo can rack up before the real business starts in February and March. This is a tournament where every single game has the potential to be catastrophic for mm. even the biggest teams. So we should be happy about that, at least you know. And I, I think that when you look at the pools, the, there are going to be absolutely brilliant games and it's not brilliant games between teams say even in the Heineken Cup where there'd be two brilliant teams in the pool and you'd say right well depending you on you might the just get is, one big match in that pool or two big matches yeah those two teams exactly and those two teams might still get through from that pool depending on how poor the other two teams are in this you know these pool games really really will quali- really will matter coming up in second captain's football that's yeah <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'm going to leave it there. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man? Well, we'll talk about the Ireland 7 0 win over the um, over the weekend. Yep. The Gibraltarians. Is that what they're called? I, I believe so. Gibraltarians? I don't know. Liam Brady went for Gibraltarians. Uh, yeah, I think it is. He's a man of the world. He's played football in Italy. I've been to, <laughs> I've been to Gibraltar. Have you, yeah? I have, yeah. We might say. Nice. You ever been there? No, never been, no. I'll tell you, the rock, uh, the rock of Gibraltar is a pretty impressive sight. Yeah? It really is. It, is it bigger or smaller than the rock of Cashel? Also... <laughs> It's a lot bigger than the Rock of Cashel. I mean, I saw the. Yeah, Rock- don't scoff at the Rock of Cashel, Ken. The Rock of Cashel isn't even a rock by these standards. The pebble well, of the- Cashel. <laughs> you know, that's what you'd have to call it. But luckily enough, you know, when they, when they were naming it, I don't know if too many people had seen both of them. You yeah. Know, you, were still, you were still able to. Uh, we Get attacked t- by any monkeys? Uh, no, you, you you see the monkeys. I mean, they uh, 
they swarm around over the rock and um, you throw food to them and stuff. I don't know if you're supposed to, but everybody does. Maybe it's changed now. This was more than 20 years ago. Where were we? You're uh, telling us what was going up. We're going oh, to talk yeah, about we're going to talk, we'll talk, we'll talk about Germany as well. Ireland playing Germany is kind of a bigger game uh, and how uh, Germany are feeling ahead of this uh, awful thing they're about to, this unspeakable 40-goal victory that they're about to uh, <laughs> uh, unleash upon Ireland. Well, let's stick with that now because we're joined by Maciek Iwanski, who is football commentator with TVP in Poland. Uh, first ever victory for you and your countrymen, uh, Maciek, over Germany in your 19th try against them. Was this the best day ever for Polish football? Well, I don't think it was the best day ever, but it was certainly a great day, first in, I think, 30 years, because the last time we have been happy because of football was 1992, but this was the Olympic Games in Barcelona when we uh, lost the final against Spain, the huge Spain with Guardiola and the other guys who made uh, great careers afterwards. But the last time we were really happy about football was actually 1992, when we were third in the world. Of course, we played in the World Cup after 16 years of break, in 2002, Korea-Japan, this was not a success, uh, as well as 2006, not a success. We didn't manage to qualify from the group. Then we were at Euro in 2008 uh, with Leo Benhacker. That was a pretty good time. We've beaten Portugal uh, in 2006. We've beaten Czech Republic in 2008. But actually, uh, after this 2008, we've had a great times of Euro 2012. Everything was perfect except football. If you know what I mean. If you're Irish, I think you know what I mean. I think we do uh, have an idea, yeah. Yeah, so uh, basically we're waiting for such a big game for, I, I think I think it will be 30 years. And you know what? what's the story behind the date? This is really interesting because on the uh, 11th of October in 2006, we've, we, six, we've beaten Portugal with Leo Benhacker as a coach. On the same day, we've beaten Czech Republic in 2008. This was the last big game won by Poland because then we've had like two years of uh, after the World Cup 2010 where we were not qualified. We've had two years of friendly games. Then we've had Euro. We didn't win a single game there. Then we've had tough qualifications to uh, the World Cup in Brazil. We didn't qualify from the group. We played England uh, in Warsaw. That was a pretty good game, but it was a 1-1 draw. And uh, suddenly, out of nowhere, we are playing on 11th of October, 2014, Germany, the actual World Cup uh, champions, and we're beating them out of nowhere. That, that's a sensation. I think we should play every game on 11th of October. <laughs> or uh, we are comparing this game on Saturday to the game at Wembley in uh, 17th of October, 1973. I think you remember this, this the uh, Alfram's team. We've shocked them. We've went to the World Cup of 1974 and then to the third place in the world. So, so Jan Tomaszewski, I'm sure you know the guy, he's comparing what Wojtek Szczęsny did in goal on Saturday to exactly the Wembley match. But he says that uh, at Wembley in 1973, Tomaszewski have stopped England. And uh, National Stadium in Warsaw in 2014, Wojtek Szczęsny have beaten Germany. That's how exactly... Tomaszewski have described this game. The huge, huge moment for Polish football, but we'll see what happens tomorrow against Scotland. Is a win against Germany a bigger win than against any other country for Poland? I think from the historical point of view, yes. Uh, and also, well, we have two great rivals in sports. It's Russia and Germany. And with Germany, it's very funny because in 2014, also we can't understand why there's the different answer for, for every single match, but we have beaten them in basketball uh, twice. We have beaten them in volleyball a couple of weeks ago in the semi-final of the World Cup because we are the World Cup, uh, World Cup winners in uh, volleyball. 
we have beaten them in handball, men and women, women on Saturday in a friendly game, which is interesting. And we have beaten them in football in every competition of, of the games, uh, of the team games. We have played against Germany in 2014. We have beaten them. And we are seeking for an answer what actually is going on in Polish sport because we have success everywhere. We have success in winter sports in Sochi. We've had uh, we have the actual cycling uh, world champion Michał Kwiatkowski. We had Rafał Majka who made a couple of very good performances in the Tour de France. We had guys in tennis. Like everywhere, when when you're looking at the Polish sport, we are winning, and nobody actually knows why. It's just the way it is, and we're pretty happy about this. The, um, I think we would all be aware of the uh, the historical uh, issues between Germany and Poland, but I'm wondering in, in 2014, do, how was this win celebrated? Is there still, uh, for young German people, for people who are only, uh, for young Polish people, I should say, people in their 20s, for example, do they actually hate Germany or do they still have those historical uh, issues? I don't think there's any hate about Germans in Poland. Of course, uh, there, there could be something. I mean, like, you know, half a percent of the people are still hating everybody because of everything. Get on the Internet and you find as much hate as possible. So sometimes just, you know, people are sometimes frustrated, but it's not about that. I don't think that anybody actually is hating Germany. Uh we have a lot of respect now these days uh, to every of our neighbors. But from a historical point of view, yes, it is very important win. And this is there will always be something special when you're playing Russia or Germany, and if you're if you're Polish. But uh, we have noticed very interesting sentence uh, from the um, one of the correspondents, the German correspondent for Süddeutsche Zeitung, who actually wrote after the game that what what has happened during the uh, national anthems before the, the game, when the German national anthem have started, people were whistling, but the other people at the stadium, the other Polish fans, have started to clap. This actually happened like uh, before Euro, like Polish fans are clapping when, when the, there's an anthem of the rivals, which is the showing of respect to, to the rivals in football. I don't believe and, it, Maciej. I, I, yeah. I was in Poznan last year. The Polish fans clapped the Irish national anthem. I, I, I thought that was a special thing. I didn't realize they did that for everybody. Well, of course, we love Irish. <laughs> I, you know, I thought it was the, We love Irish fans. We, we like I, You Irish love everybody. Football. It means nothing. When, look, when, when love is given to everybody, it means nothing. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Our love is given to Ireland, but uh, you know, uh, the respect is given to, to to everybody in Polish football when we're playing the national team. But actually, uh, this, this this German correspondent have noticed that um, this is very weird because 70 years ago, with the sound of the same anthem, Warsaw was destroyed. And I think that's the best sentence that could describe uh, the feeling of people who are living in Warsaw. You know, playing football at the new, brand new, well, it's not a brand new, but it's, it's only two years old, a beautiful national stadium in Warsaw, playing Germany in a competitive match. You know, it's a story that has started in 1933, and we have played uh, 18 times against them, against them without success, only six draws. We, we were that close a couple of times when we lost the game uh, in last seconds, in, you know, in 2006, in 2011. So... We thought, like, you know, we will never beat them. And why should we beat them if we don't have a, like, great team? We have a good players. We have Szczęsty, we have Lewandowski, we have Boszczykowski, we have Piszczek, we have Krychowiak, uh, we have Glik, but we don't have the team. That's what we thought. And uh, with a new coach, Adam Nawałka, for uh, friendly matches for, for around the year that he's in charge, we haven't seen a single good performance. And suddenly, out of nowhere, we are playing a perfect match against Germany. Of course, they had 29 shots. Of course, they had possession for 70%. That's a Guardiola virus, I think. 
But it was just like tiki-taka football. They had the ball, we won the match. Well, what are the aspirations now? Do people in Poland, because I, I don't know, up until now, everybody in Ireland had assumed that Germany will walk away with the group and that it's between Poland, Scotland and Ireland to try to get the second automatic qualifying spot. But do people in Poland now have designs on winning the entire group? I don't think we want to qualify. Łukasz Podolski, who's a Polish-born, uh, he actually said in Polish after the match that he expects in Germany and Poland to qualify. That will be perfect. Of course, we just have a good start. And what is really important, the Polish players have started to say, you know what, we have beaten Germany. This is an extra point. These are, these are extra points for us. Uh, but, you know, they are gold points. But they could be like, you know, false gold points on Tuesday if we were not beating Scotland, which is obvious. So uh, this game, of course, is very important for the people because everybody's happy. It was like the most happy Sunday I remember ever in Poland after the sporting, sports result because, of course, we have a lot of success in different sports. But, you know, football is the most important game. Yeah. And uh, people were really happy about it. Everybody, like politics on Sunday shows, you know, politics shows, speaking 30 minutes about the match, you know, describing who was good, who was not, blah, blah, blah. This, this doesn't happen in Poland. Uh, so there is an expectation, but there is also a lot of, um, I, I'd say like, you know, people are, uh, are cautioning, well, we're not happy about the uh, qualification for Euro 2016 because this could happen or not. We're happy about the single game and the players know that they need to focus on the game against Scotland because otherwise the win against Germany doesn't mean as much as it does at the moment. So, no, we don't expect players to qualify. We don't expect uh, to, quali- to win the group. We, we expect them to qualify, of course. But there are people who are saying, let's just be careful. Because this happened before we were uh, in 80s. We, we've had such a good start also. And we did not qualify for Euro in 88. So... Let's just wait. But the hope and the spirit is really high at the moment. Just lastly, Maciek, this is all very bad news for Ireland because we have to go to Gelsenkirchen and on Tuesday, tomorrow night. Yeah. Germany play- going to take a horrible revenge on yeah, us. Yeah, they're, extre- <laughs> <laughs> they're extremely angry. Please tell us that we have a chance of getting something there. I'm sure you do. Uh, <laughs> first of all, look at the game of Germany versus Scotland. This was a very, very harsh match for, for Germans, and it wasn't that easy for them. Uh, well, the bad news is that actually Germany played a good match against us. It's just they did not score. We've had absolutely fantastic chances in goal. We've had guys like Kamil Glick, who's the captain in, in Torino, who kept the defence. We've had Krychowiak, who went to Sevilla and actually is a very, uh, very important person at the moment uh, since the very first match in La Liga. We've had young Milik, uh, talented guy from Ajax, who scored a first goal. It was actually um, a first goal in competitive match against Germany that we were leading, thanks to, in 43 years. So, you know, that's huge. And, uh, of course, you have a chance. But I think that you need just to follow the idea of our national team coach, which is, you know, keeping the clean sheet and having... If you, need, if you want to, to beat Germany, or if you want to just get a draw if you're playing a away game... You need to have a couple of things going on. You have to play perfect match. At least eight of your players must have, must play perfect match. Your goalkeeper has to play perfect match. Neuer must make some kind of mistake, which he did in the, during the first uh, goal uh, scored by Poet. And Germany, they will create chances, but they need to miss. So you know they are they are angry, but they are also I think a little bit uncertain about what will happen on Tuesday. So yeah, sorry guys. We didn't have, you know, we didn't th- uh, thought about Ireland going to Gazenkirchen. We only about us. <laughs> yeah, the friendship is is all over, uh, unfortunately. But listen, Maciek Ivanski, listen, great to talk to you, and good luck against Scotland. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Good luck against Germany. 
with the kick out. The 42 year old goalkeeper. Curling it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time I've seen your tiger come out of here. And the whoa, 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 be the last one. Bam. Ken, you look, you still look betrayed by the fact that the Polish, uh, the Polish fans clapped the German. Now, when did they clap the Irish anthem during the, Euros? the, the not not during the Euros? It was uh, last November. Oh, right, okay. the second match of the Keane O'Neill O'Neill Keane era, um, and I honestly thought that it was a sort of a, a gesture towards uh, Ireland. After the Euros, and I, and I think I've spoken about it on here before, and I, and I talked about how it touched my scaly old heart uh, to, to see the uh, the behaviour, I mean, in my opinion, disgusting, pig-ignorant behaviour of the Ireland football supporters. <laughs> um, to see it, uh, to see it, that, that in Poland they had appreciated uh, Why the, was the it party pl- atmosphere. Our drunken goings-on in Poland. Why was it just a little bit, support? Uh, it's just a little bit excessive, to be honest. Slight, slight element of excess to the way that the Irish supporters went about their business in Poland, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, uh, I thought, well, look, you know, at least these the people of Poznan appreciated the fact that the Irish fans came here and, you know, uh, and everyone was, there was a, let's say, a carnival atmosphere <laughs> in the town. But it turned out, no, it's just an empty courtesy that they offered to every visiting team. Um, they were probably as disgusted by the Ireland fans as I was. No, they had a... Irish day like 12 months after the, our first game in the Euros in Sopot and Poznan and Gdansk and all these places they loved it was, a, it was like a Vintners, our... a Vintners confederation uh, <laughs> well whatever yeah I mean they're all sitting there on their thrones with their crowds on we'll look ahead to Ireland Germany in our football podcast which will be out later on today hope you've enjoyed this show yeah, Murph, thank you. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks very thank much, you, Ken. Karen, thank you, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. Check out secondcaptains.com if you get a chance. In the meantime, we'll chat to you a little bit later on. Take care. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.